This podcast is recorded in front of a live studio audience at Legend Comics, Omaha, Nebraska. This is ex-governor Jesse Ventura, and you're listening to the two-headed comic cast with so and Matt. Sort of break it, break it down like this. We're going to do it again. It's going to be even better. Welcome to episode 59 of THN, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, March 23rd. Wow, this is way better. And always, we'll be reading your tweets while we do so, so don't forget to tweet us at TwoHeadedNerd on the Twitter. My name is Matt Bob, and when I'm not still waiting for any evidence whatsoever that The Hunger Games is not a remake of The Running Man starring a girl, I'm writing about and appraising comics for WorkPoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick, artist and co-creator of Good Plus Online, and when I'm not using planning a wedding, going to college, and helping the Make-A-Wish Foundation raise money as excuses for not reading my comics on time, I'm the manager of Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska. Need to get your priorities straight, sir. This week, you'll hear reviews of The Strange Talent of Luther Strode, number six, and Super Crooks, number one. After that, we'll review ten comics at speeds that can only be called reckless and irresponsible in the ludicrous speed round, and then... We'll pay a visit to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to discuss the future of next week's comics. And finally, we'll take a look at the classic Marvel sci-fi tale Strike Force Morituri as part of our monthly Take a Look, It's in a Book segment. But before we get to all that fear-mongering and smear campaigning, let's take a second to pull Geraldo Rivera's hoodie over his head and beat the shit out of that guy straight NHL style. And then we'll talk about this week's big news. <laughs> Mark Wade has been a strong supporter of the development of digital comics for several years, and now he's putting his money where his mouth is. You mean his mouth? His mouth. <laughs> Wade is in the process of selling his legendary, lifelong comic book collection to fund a series of upcoming digital projects launching in May. The writer's website, markwade.com, will go live with a behind-the-scenes look at these projects on April 2nd, and will feature a process blog, comic previews, and sample material showing what Wade and his collaborators are hoping to achieve with the digital format. Wade will be collaborating with fellow comics veteran and TV writer John Rogers, creator of the TV show Leverage. Oh, Good yeah. show. And a host of digital artists. Now, Wade has been quick to stress that these stories won't be similar to the much-reviled motion comics of recent years. <laughs> They're stupid. Yeah. Nor will they be print... Kiss ma- my black butt! <laughs> what? <laughs> Remember the Black Panther one. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Nor will they be print material that has been chopped up and altered for digital release. Wade and his crew are hoping to take advantage of the unique storytelling opportunities provided by the digital platform. Interested fans can go to markwade.com for a free download of Luther, a proof-of-concept zombie comic that Wade has created with artist Jeremy Rock. And if you want to support these projects, head to blastoffcomics.com, where Wade's massive collection is being sold. And... For most of the comics, he has recorded like a little video talking about it and how it made him feel and when he bought it and all kinds of like anecdotes. Stuff. I don't know if they're up there, but if he's selling his not brand X comics, he bought those from me <laughs> in Kansas City at the Kansas City Club Show years ago. Nice dude. Here's hoping. Now, this news has come with a lot of attention, and not all of it has been positive. Some comic retailers are seeing Wade's digital push as a direct attack on the print medium, brick-and-mortar comic stores, and their own livelihoods. Phil Boyle of Florida's Coliseum of Comics is boycotting all of Wade's work and has removed the writer's books from his shelves, and vocal retailer and prolific tweeter... Larry Doherty of Larry's Comics in Massachusetts. Oh, Larry. Took to the internet, of course, to share his, I'll call it passionate, his (laughs) passionate opinion on the matter. So, Matt, 
we both have strong ties to print comics mm-hmm. and comic shops. Yes. So is Mark Wade is what he's doing ultimately detrimental? No. To the print side, or can it be have a positive impact? It's not. And here's the deal. And leave it to comic store owners to roll over and go extinct. Some comic store owners. <laughs> the point is, people can't make money creating comics anymore. And if we cannot make money creating comics, then we can't have a medium. It does not exist. Mark Wade, when it comes to comic books, Mark Wade is the smartest guy in the room, and I don't care who you put in the room with him. He's not completely throwing off the shackles of the print medium. When you say that you can't make money in comics, you mean independent creators well, you can't make money in comics. Even major creators are not making the money they used to make. Like they, The big two are obviously raking it in. Raking it in still, well, they're but. doing all right, but I mean, they're doing all right on their intellectual properties. They're doing all right on stuff they sell for scripts and to TV and whatnot. Well, that's what comics are to them, idea mills. Right, I, and it's true, and that works for them, but the point is, and part of what Wade had said earlier this week is, you cannot, even at Image Comics, who is like the largest indie out there, it costs so much money up front to put out this creator own stuff creator owned comics are going to go away they're going to disappear because of the price of printing this what he's doing is a great idea and if it gets money in the hands of creators that's a good thing and you know what if you he said himself if it does well and he sells a whole bunch of issues and sees the interest they will print them yes they will print them yes. after the fact he, and he, if that's what you want you know what i will take a super sexy hardcover collection of this stuff over a leaflet which is what we're getting now the cheapest comic paper you can possibly print on full of insulting children's ads for pajamas and bed sheets and stuff my point is this is not the death of the comic shop <laughs> comic shops may have to change but those that do will continue to exist. Mark Wade himself has said that if he could have afforded to do both, he wants to do both. He can't afford to print the comics. It, they're just it's too expensive. Yeah. And it's not a matter of not liking print or wanting to abandon print for digital. It's that you can do digital for so much less. Right. And yeah, he's got to pay an artist and everybody else, and he has to develop a website and all that stuff. But no printing is the key. He doesn't have to shell out that money. Right. And if he didn't believe in it, he wouldn't be paying for it out of pocket. And look, the same thing has happened to music. And we haven't seen music stores completely disappear. They've had to change. Maybe they've gotten smaller. Maybe they've become collector shops and whatnot. But nobody loves music more than musicians and they didn't all rise up and say we don't want any more cds we don't want any more vinyl we right. want to go strictly digital no they're doing what they have to do to survive this is what independent comic creators have to do to survive they're not idiots they want to put out their stuff in as many formats that will make them money and you know what i love the comic shop yes. i love every every city i go to i visit a comic shop yes i want to be able to go to comic shops for the rest of my life but the fact of the matter is there may be less of them and this is how it works. Such is life. This is evolution. You change or you die. Yeah. That is it. That's all Mark Wade is saying. And honestly, I trust him. I do too. If people want comics, they're going to buy comics. It's just going to be in different formats. That's it. The curse of Michael Bay has once again reared its ugly head. While news of a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film reboot has been in the works for a while, details have been slight up until now. Infamous producer-director Michael Bay recently made comments that implied the new incarnation of TMNT would make the Heroes in a Half Shell members of an alien race. 
<laughs> Thank you, Hollywood. In your face. Obviously, it didn't take long for fan backlash to hit every corner of the internet, which led Bay to release a statement advising fans to, quote, take a breath and chill. <laughs> what a dork. <laughs> Bay, fur- <laughs> Bay further stated, quote, our team is working closely with one of the original creators what of the Ninja voice? Turtles. <laughs> this is my Michael Bay impersonation. To help expand and give a more complex backstory. Relax. We're including everything that made you become fans in the first place. We're just building a richer world. TMNT co-creator Peter... And then he surfed off <laughs> on his spaceboard. Surfed up, bros. TMNT co-creator Peter Laird echoed... Bay's sentiments telling fans to wait and see before reacting. Of course, at that time he was also holding a comically large check. No, 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 lots no. and lots of zeros. He no, Laird is the one who's is just he's just saying, you know what? Right. Chill out and wait and see. But the other guy <laughs> Kevin Eastman, the Turtles co-creator, posted his complete endorsement of the upcoming film's current direction. So he was the one with the comically large check. You bet. Indicating that he is a creator Michael Bay claimed to be consulting on the project. Joe, you're a huge Michael Bay apologist. Right. <laughs> what do you think about this latest travesty? Listen, just because a guy said he liked the Transformers movie. Oh god. <laughs> Both of them, I might add. All three of them, did I you? haven't seen the third one. Okay. No. This is stupid. This is dumb. I mean... Here's the thing. I think when you do something like Transformers, which was big in the 80s and had its time, you know, and came and went, they reinvented and it pissed people off a little bit. But the vast majority of the kids went and saw it, just thought it was awesome and didn't care. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, this is something that everybody knows they've been reinvented again and again and again and again they just had a cartoon on like two years ago now you're gonna make them aliens why don't we just make them unicorns why don't we make them talking cyborg dolphins you know i mean like unicorns this is just ridiculous and this is michael bay this is ego this is michael bay going you know what i've made this studio a hundred million billion quadrillion dollars i think i know what the kids want and the kids want aliens look hold on i'm not saying he's not wrong i'm not saying he's not not wrong (laughs) i am not i am not saying that michael bay is not completely out of his mind but he's also not the only one making this movie there are other people responsible here oh come on you know he's the one that green lights his crap he's just producing it he's not directing if it everybody he got it right oh yeah he's just throwing all the money at it he's throwing some money at yeah, it. yeah so he's the guy come on this is bs <sighs> michael bay is famous for this crap okay i if it was just like somebody else whipping it out who knows maybe hollywood's directing it whatever you want to tell me that anyone else in that in that room when they sat down to discuss this you want to tell me that anyone else had any say in this film other than the big man michael bay himself i will tell you you are wrong that guy is famous for his ego the guy's a jackass didn't he make megan fox wash his car one time yeah she called him hitler yeah Let's now we on. know why. Now I'm getting upset. Finally, Avatar Press Editor-in-Chief William Christensen has reported that the publisher's convention trailer was stolen from a street corner on Tuesday. <laughs> this was following the recently concluded WonderCon in Anaheim, California. The 5x8 white trailer was packed with promotional material, wire racks, a backdrop display, and thousands upon thousands of dollars worth of Avatar comics and graphic novels. In his official statement, Christensen said that recent issues of titles like Cross and Lady Death are now severely limited because a large portion of their print runs are just gone. Speculator alert. Yeah. 
The publisher stated that they will still have enough inventory to meet demand, but asked that the comics community keep an eye out for anyone other than Diamond Comics distributors trying to sell large quantities of Avatar items. Any suspicious activity or information related to the theft can be sent to Christensen at info at avatarpress.net. Okay, this is not funny. It's, it's not funny. It's a bad thing. It's not funny. But I totally pictured this like trailer <laughs> with Lady Death like sprawled <laughs> Air, across one side of it, and like a full frontal nude shot of a crossed victim eating a baby on the other side. You know, the <laughs> Avatar trailer, a huge <laughs> RV with airbrush. And I was like, how are they missing this? How can they not find it? <laughs> it's just a white trailer. <laughs> Can you describe the trailer for us, sir? <laughs> Do I have to? <laughs> there was a boobs and boobs exploding. Boobs and gore and gore in your boobs. Stealing, stealing, stealing. Stealing, stealing. That is the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or anything we missed, hit us up on our Facebook page, where we'll be taking your orders for the latest issues of Crossed and Lady Death at discounts that can only be called Insane! We didn't steal the thing. We were here. I can prove that we here. Please read me a tweet. Our first tweet comes from superfan Aaron Myers, who wants to know, who is your favorite Silver Age creator? I, I think it's... I have to say Jack Kirby. I think it's, it's a knee-jerk reaction, but I have to say it, because there's people at the comic shop that will beat the hell out of me. It's hard not to just automatically default to Jack Kirby. It's got to be Jack Kirby. Uh, but I think that Jack Kirby is the grown-up Joe answer, but if you asked little kid Joe, he would say Steve Ditko, because Steve Ditko created Spider-Man. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. Dumbass little Joe Patrick. Hey, have you ever seen a drawing of Jack Kirby Spider Man? Yeah, it's it was horrible. Terrible. <laughs> he couldn't do like a Nets right. Imagine the world that could have been. Yeah, he could not draw the costume. It's hilarious. It's review time again here at the Ziggurat because the only thing we love more than comics is telling you guys how you should feel about them. It's true. Matt, what did you read this week? This week, I read Super Crooks, number one from Marvel Comics, written by Mark Millar, with art by Lenil Francis Yu. The tagline here says it all. There's too many superheroes in America. Let's go somewhere else. <laughs> Super Crooks follows Johnny, a villain with electric powers that's been in and out of prison, his ex-fiance, ex-villain, and telepath, Casey, and a burnout bank robber with a ray gun named The Heat, who got in trouble ripping off a supervillain-owned casino. The Heat has been given four weeks to come up with $100 million to make good with the casino, and his old buddy Johnny has a plan to help him. They're going to move to Spain, where there's no heroes to stop them. And there's actually a great line. We're like, have you ever heard of Captain Spain? Yeah, neither <laughs> have I. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great premise that speaks directly to a question I've had for years. In fact, there's a prison guard that asks Johnny as he's escorting him back into prison the same question I've had, which is, why would anyone rob a bank in a town inundated with superheroes? In this case, New York, but you could easily ask the same question about Metropolis or Gotham City. Yes. Why would you steal a person in Gotham yeah, like, City? Why does the mob return to Gotham City? <laughs> like, after Batman's kicked him in the head so many times. Millar is up to his usual very quippy, sarcastic dialogue, but it doesn't come off as smarmy as yeah. some of his other. Their I work. agree. It really worked here. It didn't come off like wanted, which, while being well written, I enjoyed it, came off so snotty that it turned off a lot of readers. I hated wanted. A lot of people I hated did. it. And that's that's a major criticism that and why a lot of people won't even pick up a Mark I thought Millar the book. movie was better. They think 
I thought the movie was better too. <laughs> they think that Mark Millar hates his readers. Yep. And if you read some of his stuff, it certainly comes off that way. This didn't. You know that's just pronounced Miller, right? I thought it was Millar. It's, no, but keep saying Millar because it's hilarious. There's an A. I'm saying it. Millar. <laughs> Millar works in shades of gray, and the usual themes of good guys being not so good and bad guys being not so bad are present here, but it also works very well for this kind of story, as opposed to, like, his recent story, Nemesis, which was just like a caricature of the superhero, supervillain genre. This is a lot more real world. This This feels like... Less than a movie and more like an HBO series to yeah, me. Yeah. It's still very cinematic. Every comic book that Millar and you do together comes off as this movie storyboard where, I mean, you have like huge credit pages with the title, you know, and like these absolute establishing action shots, you know, and you is perfect for this stuff. Actually, you know what? You was beginning to bother me. I really enjoy the guy's art. I've loved him for a long time. He did some of my favorite Wolverine art. But he's gotten so sketchy recently that it's almost kind of hard to follow. And his poses got kind of weird. I will say in this book, he looks completely restrained. He looks clean. He looks hard-edged and just beautiful. He did a fantastic yeah, job. I thought it was gorgeous. There's some great panels here. The panel with the gladiator character, who's one of the superheroes in New York that busts Johnny, like leaps into a subway and just kicks, that was awesome. kicks the crap <laughs> out of these like nobody supervillains. And this one guy, Johnny, is like, back off, man! I've got electric powers! And then the next panel is this fist just crushing his face. <laughs> you know, it's just oh, and and he's he, walking out. And he's be like, careful with that guy in the back. <laughs> Apparently he's got electrical powers. <laughs> just great. Uh, truthfully, the only part of this comic where I saw Millar's ego come out that soured me a little bit was the ads in the back. Like, right after I finished The most it, important people in the comics yeah, industry. like the six biggest names in the comic industry. And then there's a picture of six guys. One of them is Mark Millar, and I had to look at it. One of them was Asian, so I assumed it was Leno Francis <laughs> Hugh. But the others, like, I was like, I have no idea. John Romita Jr., Steve McNiven, Frank Quinn. And I was like, oh, all right, those guys. Oh, and Dave Gibbons. But it's like, uh, and then there's this ad that says, the big two just became the big three. I will say this. He's like, really good at promoting himself. He's really good, but did anyone tell him that this is a Marvel comic book? Like, this is part of the it's big two, buddy. creator-owned. Regardless, it's Marvel icon. Yeah, It's right there. I really enjoyed this, and I'm giving it a huge buy it, and I'm saying if you've been turned off by Millard's ego in the past and some of his other books, give this one a read, because it really is different. It was a lot of fun. It was restrained. It's like, oh, it was like Ocean's Eleven, but with Super. It Marvel. really was. It was funny. And it, it had well that done. tone. And I think there's going to be a great plot here. The only thing that upsets me is this was supposed to be an ongoing series, and it's been reduced to a four-issue series regardless huge buy it for me for super crooks number one i'm one of the guys that because of books like wanted takes everything he writes with a grain of salt and kick ass 2 came out today or this week we're gonna talk about that in a little bit yes we are and super crooks and i went oh boy this is gonna be something a very malar wednesday and i finished super crooks and i really really enjoyed it was it. a lot of fun so i'm giving it a buy it as well joe why don't you tell us about the strange talent of luther strode you did not read it I did not read it. Issues five and six sold out at our shop. I don't have them. And they are gone. <laughs> Long gone. A Strange Talent of Luther Strode, number six, from Image Comics, uh, was written by Justin Jordan, with art by Trad Moore, if that is his real name. Colors by Philippe Sobrero. And here's your solicit from... I apologize for making fun of that guy's name. I understand he's probably a visitor to our country or something. He knows it. Trad? Yeah. 
<clears throat> he's tough. He's a good. He's a big boy. He knows we love him. Here's your solicit from Diamond. It ends here. Luther has lost nearly everything, but can he stop the librarian from taking away the rest? Blood will flow. Guts will fly. Yeah, I guess they will. And lives will change as the hit miniseries concludes. So regular listeners will remember that I've been talking about this book ever since the first issue. And I've been so excited, so excited to read the big finale. And it's finally here. I feel like it was late. It might not have been. I think it was late. It might not have been. I may have just been that excited. It might not have been. It might not have been. <laughs> so I'm going to try to keep this as spoiler-free as possible because spelling out too many of these details would ruin what was a really, really great reading experience. And we try to be responsible here at THN. Yes. This is award-winning comic Absolutely. Hence the burp earlier in the show. Uh, there we go. <laughs> now, the first thing I noticed... Is that real? That was real. <laughs> on command. I can burp on command. <laughs> I usually regret it, though. The first thing I noticed when I picked up the issue was the back cover. And uh, there's an ad on the back for The Legend of Luther Strode coming in October. So they've already got a sequel in the works, and that's great. That's totally great. And I'm sure it was already announced, but if so, I had completely forgotten. I think it was. When I saw the ad, I was very excited to see that they'd be able to keep telling stories in this world. Now, in this issue, there's no looking back. Luther's life is irreparably changed. The actions of the librarian have impacted his life in a way that he just he can't recover from. He won't be able to go back to the way it was. So all that's left is for him to confront the villain, save his loved ones, and get some answers. And what follows is one of the most vicious battles I have ever seen in comics. What happens in this issue is on par with some of the most brutal fight scenes that Invincible is famous for. What about Powers? Powers, yeah. Really? Yeah, man. Guts all over the place. <laughs> intestines. Guts and dicks all <laughs> over the place. <laughs> there are intestines everywhere. <laughs> Justin Jordan's script for this issue is perfect. Luther's dialogue and his reactions to the events reminded me that he is still just a kid. He's only 16, and he's trying to act tough, even though he's got these amazing powers. And then you see him make this shift into something different. As the issue progresses, you see this change come over him. And all the while, the librarian is capital E evil. And he never shifts from his personality. Uh, he's, he's kind of like this twisted educator. He's like your worst teacher, like trying to punch your head off. <laughs> The script and the art from Tradmore blend together so perfectly, it's impossible to imagine what this would look like if it were drawn by another artist. I don't think I would want it. His art is wonderful, and aside from one scene where I wasn't quite sure if I was seeing the actual events or if it was one of Luther's like flash-forward moments he gets when he's about to start a fight, uh, the storytelling is very clear. And the colors by Philippe Sobrero are a great compliment to the art, and everything looks sharp and vibrant and red. Lots and lots of red. <laughs> so we get some, but not all of the answers to the mystery of Luther Strode, the Hercules method, the librarian, and the mysterious Cain, who I forget about. I forget he's even a part of the book. But knowing that there's more story to come allowed me to relax and enjoy the ride without having to worry about dangling plot lines going unresolved. You know, when the book started, we were like, how are they going to tie all this up? Right. In six issues. Knowing that they're already able to do a sequel, I was just like, whatever, man. Let me have it. Yeah. And I think it's a good idea. Like, if you get the first six issues out, see how they sell, and and plan your sequel from there. It's a great idea. Yeah. So, 
I can't say anything about the ending without spoiling it completely, but trust me when I say that it's amazing. Every single page in the book is used to great effect, so make sure you take it all in, everything between the front cover and the back. I almost wish that the ad for the next series had been on the inside back cover instead of on the outside. I know that sounds weird, but to follow the story's last moment with that ad and the promise of more... Would have been awesome because I stay tuned for the adventures of Buckaroo Banzai versus the World Crime Congress. Exactly right. Never get made. (laughs) Exactly right. Because I had forgotten about any kind of sequel, and so if I had flipped that last page and then boom, yeah, coming soon, the Legend of Luther Strode, I would have thrown my comic across the room and thrown my fist in the air and done a cartwheel. You would break your arms if you did a cartwheel. (laughs) Shut up. As it stands, though, I knew just from picking up the book. That's and seeing the ad that it wasn't really the end. That's not a complaint though, because the end of the issue was already it was perfect. I'm so happy that these guys will be back for another series. I can't wait to see what happens next. I'm giving it a strong buy it. If you didn't read this book, get the trade when it comes out. You will not regret it. So that is a double buy it for Super Crooks number one and the biggest, happiest cartwheeling buy it that little DJ can give <laughs> for the strange talent of Luther Strode number six. And again, I apologize. It's so loud. There was nothing I could do. I got screwed. As always, we want to know what you nerds thought of these comics to so let us know how inconsistent and misleading our reviews were over at our Facebook page before we go get high. Why don't you read us another tweet, Joe Patrick? Our next tweet comes from Gears of Harper. <laughs> He wants us to know that he wants Matty Bomb's Cheeto dick. Okay, okay. Hold on. This is a vicious rumor that was spread by these little kids that stand outside the comic shop and outside my friend Meatloaf's place of work, American Tattoo, and spread vicious rumors while smoking cigarettes. And these kids are like 12. They're my own personal Yancey Street gang. Little bastards. And it's absolutely false. Screw you, Christian Harper. <laughs> Now, join us in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum. We'll be eating a psychedelic fungus from a particularly moist and dark crevasse of the Swamp Thing to enable our minds to pierce the fog of the future so we may discuss two of next week's comics. Joe, what has the Fromunda fungus guided you to? Next week... I couldn't resist the pull of Avengers versus X-Men. Yeah, I mean, let's zero. not fight it. I mean, come on. <laughs> I'm not proud. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a good time. This is by, apparently, everybody that works for Marvel Comics. Everyone's cool, anyway. Bendis, Fraction. Jason Aaron. Jason Aaron. It's some guys that we like. It's going to be a fun time. Matt. My pick for next week, BPRD, Hell on Earth, Pickens County Horror, number one. That's a long title. They are really lengthening these titles. Think of it as BPRD versus Hick Vampires, or perhaps Raylan Givens, Vampire Hunter. (laughs) What? I think this is going to be a great time. Oh, man. Of course, we want to know what you nerds are reading next week, so shoot us a line at the Twitter at TwoHeadedNerd. Speaking of which, Joe Patrick, read me a tweet! (laughs) Our next tweet comes from Fabek, who is asking a question that I don't think we can answer without spoiling a book for everybody. What's the question? I will ask this. He wants to know how awesome 
was that thing that happened in Batman between Nightwing and Batman when they found out that thing and then they, he did that thing. <laughs> let's, let's just leave it at pretty awesome. It was really awesome. <laughs> it's time to put on our green helmets and tech armor, load the Normandy's armory full of specter packs, and hit the nearest Mass Effect relay while reviewing 10 comics at faster than light speeds. Before we deploy to the hot zone and kick some Reaper butts, let's have the ludicrous speed round. Green team, go! Go, green team! Ludicrous speed, go! Dominique Levu, Voodoo Child, number one from Vertigo. Uh, I didn't like it. I mean, I'm sure there's a market out there. It didn't do much for me either. I, it's, it's. I don't. I'm not interested in it. I'm sorry. And the silly, it, silly Cajun dialect. The narration with the weird Creole dialect that yeah. bothers me. It doesn't work written on the page. There's something in here for somebody. <laughs> it ain't for me. I'm giving it a skim. It. Stanley's Mighty Seven, number one from Archie Comics. This is Stanley's true story. Stanley's about to give up on comics when boom, a spaceship crashes in front of him, and he's got real life superhero stories to write about. It was stupid, and the art was bad. And again. There's something in here for somebody. It's certainly not me. <laughs> I don't know who it is. Leave it. Rebel Blood, number one. Uh, so this is the new book drawn by Riley Brosimo, who is kind of uh, making his way up at Image. And it was certainly beautiful to look at, but I found it so incredibly hard to follow. It was super hard to follow. The best I can give it is a skim it. I'm with you. Avengers Extinction, number four. This is the end of the miniseries that starts the beginning of the Avengers versus X-Men <laughs> and man did it peter out there was like no big ending no big surprise nothing really too huge happens I, I liked it I mean it wasn't bad the dialogue got pretty cheesy I'm giving it a skim it you certainly don't need to read this as a primer to Avengers versus X-Men John Carter, Gods of Mars, number one. I read this too. You stole it from me. I have never read a John Carter comic in my life. It was great. It, this is by Sam Humphreys, who is the guy taking over Ultimates for Jonathan Hickman. And I really like it. Ramon Perez. That Beautiful dude's art, art is awesome. Beautiful art. And you know what? You haven't seen the movie. If you did see the movie, this it is a perfect primer for this comic. It was perfect. I saw the movie last week, read this comic. It was very much in the spirit. I loved it. I, I came in completely cold, and I still got a huge kick out of it. I'm giving it a buy it. Hoax Hunters number zero. This book was a ton of fun. This is what DC's Challengers of the Unknown post-relaunch could have been, where DC not afraid to hire new talent. It's a group of people that work for a TV show going around the world covering up paranormal happenings, making it look like a hoax. Even when it's not, we don't know why yet. It was super weird. The art was great. I totally loved it. Buy it, buy it, buy it. Kick ass two, number seven. The flip side of the super crook spectrum. <laughs> this book was something. That's... I got I got ten pages in before I realized that it's impossible to review this book. There's just it's I don't know, it's too ridiculous. To apply normal human standards to it. Normal human standards. Yes, I don't know. It, <laughs> It's super violent. It's got little girls cutting heads off. I don't know. If that's your sort of thing, I guess skim it. It has villains with names that we can't say on a clean podcast. It's true. I don't know. I, I'm kind of done with Kick-Ass. Ragemore, number one. Ragemore was awesome. Jan Strand is a horror writer that I've never heard of, but she did a great job here writing a very classic Lovecraftian Hammer Films horror-type story about a living castle, literally living castle, that either murders its inhabitants or drives them insane. Not to mention Richard Corbin draws the scariest shit you have ever seen. It is the grossest This artwork. is black and white, so there's nothing for him to hide behind, and it is terrifying. I loved it. Huge buy. Smoke and Mirrors, number one. 
Uh, this is the new book from Mike Costa, finally stepping out from G.I. Joe. Joe Patrick's boyfriend, Mike Costa. It's true. And it's about it's a world where magic is commonplace. It's a part of everyday life. And the Steve Jobs of, of this world is like inventing magic devices. It was really interesting. I, I kind of liked it. The art was just okay, but yeah. uh, still, I, I'm I'm on board. I'm giving it a buy it. I thought it was a lot of premise. I'm giving it a skim it. Grim Fairy Tales, the Jungle Book number one. Believe it or not, this is not the Xenoscope booby book that you think it is. It was, Isn't it? Actually, it was all right. It wasn't insulting. I think it's kind of the story of Mowgli's mom, sort of. Of course, we haven't gotten into the guy with the tiger claws taped to his hand like on the cover yet, so I don't know where it's going. But I'll give it a skim it. It wasn't bad. Thwack! That is your ludicrous speed round, and thwack! Is the sound it makes when Bagheera bitch slaps one of Shere Khan's hoes as seen in the pages of Grim Fairy Tales Jungle Book number one. The creepy, slowed-down reading rainbow theme means the two-headed nerd is peeling back the pages of a graphic novel for our monthly Take a Look, It's in a Book segment. This month, we're taking a look at Marvel's classic and newly reprinted sci-fi epic, Strike Force Moraturi. But first, a little history. Matt, take us back to 1986. Ronald Reagan was the president, Top Gun was the highest grossing film of the year, the Space Shuttle Challenger blew up, and the Chicago Bears recorded their hit single, Super Bowl Shuffle, and then kicked the crap out of the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl. But more importantly, 1986 was a hell of a year for comics. Batman The Dark Knight Returns number one hit the shelves, alongside a little series that no one cared about called Watchmen. Over at Marvel, the Mutant Massacre was in full swing, and Marvel looking for their own edgy comics epic took a chance on writer Peter Gillis and artist Brett Anderson's sci-fi series, Strike Force Moratori. The year is 2069, and the Earth is under siege by an alien race called the Va-Shock, nicknamed the Horde, a race of merciless space scavengers that raid planets of their resources, leaving them barren and their populace enslaved. However, humankind doesn't plan on going quietly. In 2072, Dr. and I'm not sure how to pronounce this. Kimo Tulema. Kimo Tulema perfects the Moratoria process, which gives the subjects superpowers such as flight, strength, telepathy, amongst others. At which point they become members of Earth Elite Strike Force Moratoria. The only problem is the process stresses their system so badly it shortens their lives to just under a year or less from the day of receiving the treatment. The other problem? The powers that the subjects receive seem to be completely random. The story begins with highlights of the first group to undergo the process, the Black Watch. Three brave volunteer soldiers who became famous after launching an all-out attack on a horde stronghold in Cape Town. Later, we find out there were actually five members of the Black Watch, but two of them died during an exercise in an experimental area called the Garden, where test subjects are pushed to extremes to try and speed up the appearance of their powers. Coincidentally, Garden was influenced by the X-Men's Danger Room when Dr. Tuoluma was reading his daughter's old X-Men vid comics. Hey. Kind of fun. Motion comics survive to the future. So this takes place in a reality where Marvel comics exist, but they were all comic books. <laughs> Which is kind of fun. The story actually follows the second group to take the moratory process and their ultimate demise. The tagline of the comic is, We Who Are About to Die. Which, as we discussed on a previous episode... I can't remember who sent us the Twitter question. I don't know. Somebody asked either. us if we knew what it meant. And it came from the gladiatorial battles of old in Rome. We who are about to die salute you, you know. And then the emperor would give you a thumbs up and a thumbs down. Then a beheading. Down. Right. But if you're Russell Crowe, 
Good luck. <laughs> Whatever. Good luck. You're the better. The first thing that grabbed me in reading this, I remember seeing these comics on the shelf as a kid, and I thought it was Strike Force Mortuary because I was really young. <laughs> <laughs> but I I picked up some issues years and years and years ago, and it just did nothing for me. I didn't get it, you know. It, and the reason being, this is really really heady sci-fi stuff this is a story that was way ahead of its time for 1986 there are themes of reality tv there like the internet sack what is sacrifice what is materialism ecology distrust of the government the nature of war this is really heady stuff the, i mean the bad guys the horde themselves they seem to be humanity's future they were a race that used up their own planet's resources, and when a kindly alien civilization came to save them, the Horde murdered and enslaved them and stole their technology and then head into the stars to go find more resources. But they're not just going after, like, oil and uranium. The Horde measures their wealth in, like, raw stuff. Yeah. We see them stealing the film libraries from, like, Hollywood, crates of Hershey's chocolates. When we see them running around, they're wearing, like, T-shirts with, like, baseball teams on them. They're carrying comic books. They have buttons that say, like, where's the beef that they're wearing is, like, piercings and whatnot. I loved that part. It took me a minute to figure out what I was yeah, looking at. Yeah, they but. are these... Compl- they are the most disgusting, materialistic side of ourselves. They also have chin testicles. And yeah, they also have this weird thing on their chin that looks like testicles. But anyway, they are... They're like a mirror reflection of us. They're what we could be if we continue moving on the road that we're on and to battle our evil selves we had to make the ultimate sacrifice we had to find people that were so good or so crazy that they were willing to give up their life to go and fight these aliens they were willing to take this process and they talk about it constantly every time someone gets a headache they're like oh my god i'm melting down is this it am i melting down right now you know and like one of the there's one of the characters who i thought was the main character of the story yeah. who died really quick and like goes off and does this super heroic thing and then leads the team on this charge into space and just explodes and dies <laughs> like while they're going. And it's it's a really interesting narrative because there really aren't any main characters to cling to. You're following these desperate people who came from like some of them want to be heroes. Some of them just got tired of their boring life. Some of them don't know what else to do. And so they give up their life to go fight these aliens. This was an amazing book this is only volume one it's true there are three volumes in total and i'm going to read them all i should also mention that a little penciler named wills portacio worked on these books he did the comic book portions where they're they're reading the propaganda comics about the black watch later on he has some regular story issues too like also uh, mark bagley yes mark bagley also worked on this there were a lot of names that i recognize that are around now and a lot of people Mark Wade who we spoke about earlier in the show Mark Wade and Kurt Busiek some of the older writer guys that came out of the late 80s they cite this book as being very yeah. very important well Brent Anderson the main artist is the co-creator of Kurt Busiek's Astro City right they work together on Astro City and his art has improved quite a bit. <laughs> I, I like the art in this book. The I art, like Brent Anderson's It art. is very 80s. I will say that. There's a lot of stuff about this that is very 80s. And it took me back. Now, I disagree. I mean, full disclosure, I didn't make it through the book because I ran out of time. Uh, but in what I read, uh, I thought that 
Except for a couple things here and there, it held up very well, and it didn't seem that dated at all. I'm not saying that it, it didn't hold up. I'm saying that it took me back very much to 80s sci-fi, sure, when sci-fi sure, sure, sure. was heady, when sci-fi told a story, but it, like before it became like, Guy Pierce has got to bust out of space prison, and there's some rad metal playing in the background. Lockdown, starting next week in Guy, theaters. Guy Pierce, Yeah, dude. He is in that movie. I yelled at my television. I was like, you are a talented actor, sir. What are you doing? <laughs> this was back when you could tell a sci-fi story. I don't... And, and the thing of it is, I don't know that a story like this could be told again today. Sure it could. It would be written by Jonathan Hickman. Well, sure it could, but it would be an image. Yeah. I mean... Which like, is fine. And which would be great, but even so, I mean, like, this, it stars no superheroes, first of all. It's a completely unknown cast. It's certainly a tough sell. And your main, yeah, imagine coming to your, the editors and saying, here's the deal. Here's our cast. Don't get attached to any of them, because they're going to get killed at any minute. It's like The Walking Dead in space, yeah, if it were If it were to be published today, it would have to sell on the strength of the creators, yeah, not the absolutely. story. And even then, it's a book that would sell maybe six, 7,000 issues a month, as opposed to... 90 to 100,000 for books starring Captain America, Wolverine, or Batman. You know, I, I miss this kind of stuff. I really miss the real heady comic sci-fi. This was so refreshing, so fun. I highly recommend this to anyone that enjoys a good sci-fi read. Because a lot of the stuff that you are reading enjoying now, I guarantee Hickman read this book. I guarantee Warren Ellis read this book. And I guarantee that it... Im- got them to write the great stuff that we've read from them today strong by it here i abstain from rating but i am several chapters in and i am loving it so far so i plan to keep on going way to go you really dropped the ball this month joe patrick <laughs> be sure to let us know your thoughts on strike force Marjorie and tune in to take a look it's in a book next month when we'll be reviewing Jim Henson's Tale of Sand graphic novel. From Archaea. Sounds really cool. I'm excited to read it. Sort of break it it down like this. That is it for another edition of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Cast. If you'd like to join us every week on our quest to rape and pillage the universe, you can subscribe to our show on iTunes. And while you're there, leave us a star rating or even a short written review. Huge thanks to everyone that's donated to the show. And if you want to keep us in Hershey bars and where's the beef buttons, you can donate in any amount by clicking our donate button at TwoHeadedNerd.com. While you're there, you can find links to our Twitter feed and our email to editor.gmail.com where you can submit questions or comic-related trivial challenges for a monthly Ask a Nerd segment returning in two weeks. Two weeks from the <laughs> date of this episode. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, that's great. Also, we need your THN mascot submissions. Please keep them coming. It's been a little while since we've got one. And everyone is bragging about how they're going to send us one. <laughs> they're not doing it. Come on, guys. If that's not enough, head on over to our Facebook page where you can become a fan of THN and answer the question of the week. This week's query. What would it take for you to switch to a strictly digital comics format? The comic shop's worst nightmare, Apocalypse. (laughs) Would it be a lower price point, faster access to comics, something else, or absolutely nothing? Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Jesse the Body Ventura, who was not only the ex-governor of Minnesota, but also played Captain Freedom in The Running Man and was way cooler than some pasty teen heartthrob named Pita. Word to you, Mr. The Body, and until next time, true believers, 
This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off, but first, give us one more tweet. Our last tweet of the night comes from Matt's wife, Casey, who wants to know, who would last longer in the Hunger Games, Matt or Joe? She says, I think I could beat you both, but what if? I don't know what the Hunger Games are, but if it's eating a bunch of food, I think Joe wins. (laughs) (laughs) That is not what the Hunger Games are. A fat joke? What do you want me to do? Really? (laughs) Are you ready for pain? Are you ready for suffering? If the answer is yes, then you're ready for Captain Freedom's workout. Yes, it's America's own Captain Freedom. That's the ticket. No pain.